Hey there, and welcome to Outtakes, a podcast brought to you by the GoDaddy photo team where we connect with other photographers to get the scoop on what drives their practice and hear personal stories from within the field. Your podcast hosts will be me, Joe Kalesha, hi, Thomas Allison, and our photo team manager, Derek Stout. We all work collectively together on the photo team here in Austin, but also independently as freelance photographers and are a self-proclaimed group of photo nerds. Photography is our passion, and we know from experience that navigating this highly competitive industry can feel impossible at times. We hope that this podcast will inspire connection within our community and peel back the curtain a bit through sharing stories and experiences. On our first episode of Outtakes, we're excited to be chatting with our very own Thomas Allison, who did about 150 shoots for GoDaddy before signing on to work full-time with us. Today, we're going to be talking about his experience photographing so many different local business owners, We're also going to talk about a monumental trip and documentary series that Thomas was a part of. I won't give too much of it away because it's an incredible story. It involves a 14,000 mile cycling journey from Alaska to Argentina over the course of several years. Uh, So with that said, I'm going to turn it over to Thomas. So about 150 shoots with us, Thomas. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about what that experience was like? Sure. Yeah, it was it was really fun. I think I learned a lot about photography. I learned a lot about shooting in a lot of different types of environments. That was something I had shot a lot before that, but not in as many crazy different types of places. So yeah, I think I really, it like honed my, my eye quite a bit. Tell us a little bit about some of those interesting situations or customers where you were forced to get outside of your comfort zone or learn something new. I feel like to one degree or another Every shoot was was kind of like that. Some of the shoots that surprised me the most or that I had the most fun on um, were the ones where I got to ride heavy machinery, I think. I would I would put that at the top. Go on, uh, explain more. And it, seemed, it, it seemed to like keep happening where there was one at a pecan farm where I was riding on this like giant tractor that they used to shake the nuts out of the tree. And then there was another one where it was like a, a demolition company. And they were knocking over this big warehouse like that was what their photo shoot was. And so they had me up in a scissor lift, like photographing this building. You didn't you didn't know this, but internally we had a note on your file that was like heavy machinery guy. So that was not (laughs) coincidence. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, maybe we should start making detailed notes like that. (laughs) Joe, we'll talk about that afterwards. Um, Yeah, noted. So was there ever a shoot that you had that really exceeded your expectations, given if it was the specific customer, if it was a specific set of circumstances? Yeah. Something that was interesting, I think, that I learned through doing so many was I, I would walk in with these kind of preconceived ideas. You know, like you walk into a shoot kind of thinking about the images you hope to make. And then oftentimes the images that I got out of that shoot that were the best were like had nothing to do with what I thought I was going to shoot. And the one that comes to mind is I there was like this period in time where I was shooting a lot of oil change places like automotive shops. And at one point I was like, hey, can I go down below, like down in the the like service bay? And they were like, yeah, dude, I don't, I don't care. Do whatever you want. And I, I got down there and realized that it was like the coolest, most cinematic place I had ever been. There's like oil on everything. The light is like perfect. This soft, ethereal light coming from from up above. And you've got all these like mechanic dudes like covered in grease. Nice. And I spent most of the shoot down there um, and like totally ruined my clothes. because I was just <laughs> I got like covered in oil by the end. Fair enough. Yeah, I think 
I think it was maybe four or five years ago when I was shooting some of the some of the initial shoots. Automotive shops became like one of my quick favorites because they always have the big bay doors, and so you can get this nice soft light for portraits. That totally, like you said, were almost almost kind of cinematic in scope. And I think sometimes the customer saw them and were like, "What are we going to use these for?" And it's like, eh, yeah, that might have been a little more for me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I kept I kept making these like like Renaissance portraits of these mechanics, and like I don't know if they want. That. I were maybe I <laughs> I recall seeing those. I think Joe probably does too. Like we got so so mm-hmm. excited when people like really knocked automotive shoots out of the park because there's a lot there's a lot of imagery there. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about a time when maybe you discovered uh, a business in the area that you weren't familiar with, and it kind of like you know was exciting, and maybe you went back there again, or you know just just a new discovery for you. I mean, again, that's like. I think one of my favorite parts about doing these shoots is most of these businesses are places near my house that I'd never been before. I discovered my favorite Indian food restaurant in Austin, Taj Palace. I don't know if you guys have been there. It's amazing. It's like I'm familiar. right it's, near it's my right house. Up the road. <laughs> yeah, I had never been there and I did a shoot there and like got to hang out in the kitchen and like watch them make all the the dishes and I, like now I go there all the time. Yeah, I think I think that's a really cool thing about this gig is that you're like dropped into places that you've walked past a hundred times and never thought about. And you're like, oh my God, this this is so cool. This was here this whole time. Nice. Is there a specific tip or handful of tips that you would give someone either currently in our network or who is looking to be a member of our network uh, in regards to these shoots? Maybe, you know, something that you really or certain that you do on everyone or a mind state that you go into one with? Well, what's What's some advice or tips that you might have there? I think for me, there was there was kind of a shift where um, I like came from more kind of a like journalistic style of, you know, like fly on the wall, try to like capture it without interfering. And there there was a point in time where I realized that I could kind of just collaborate with them and style the images and like set things up and that it just made everything so much easier. <laughs> and like like obviously like photojournalism is amazing but like this isn't necessarily that and so i think when i started playing a more active role and and like collaborating with the business owners and trying to make images that would really resonate with their customers that was like it's like oh my god this is so much easier yeah no i when i i think that's kind of the nail on the head in terms of what we try to tell new people into our network is, you know, it's it's really important to kind of meet the customer where they're at. You know, some customers are really hands off and they're like, take the reins, do it. I, I don't know how to help you creatively. And then the opposite yeah. end of the spectrum, sometimes you might show up and a customer's like, here's the shot list. Here's what I want to accomplish. Here's the dishes that you need to shoot. So I think that that's one thing that I learned that was really important was trying to chat a little bit with uh, the customer and understand like, okay, where, where yeah. are they coming from? Cause that's going to be most important. Totally. And it's, it's like every, it's like everything else where like the technical stuff, once you have that down, it becomes much more about like the social element of like making them right. feel comfortable and making sure that you understand what they want. Exactly. Exactly. Cause we've, we've had times before where me and Joe will look at a shoot and be like, this is gorgeous. What a phenomenal shoot. And granted, this doesn't happen often, but we'll chat with a customer and the customer won't won't necessarily be a big fan of the shoot because they don't feel like they had any input. The photographer just kind of showed up and didn't speak very much and shot everything. We're, you know, we're looking back and saying, well, the shoot looks phenomenal, but if their experience wasn't great, then it really impacts the way they view the photos. So it's almost equally important in my eyes to kind of, you know, 
have that social aspect of chatting to the customer and understanding what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. At the end of the day, like it's their photo shoot. You know, you can make great images that you're like, as an artist, I'm so proud of. But if they don't like their images, then they're not satisfied. Right. And I also feel like there's room to have a conversation with them about, you know, using your expertise to guide them throughout the shoot. Um, Because I found that I come from a photojournalism background, too. So that was an adjustment for me to flip that mindset of like, okay, I'm not going to be a fly on the wall anymore, because we kind of know what those images look like when you don't take control. But just kind of realizing that, okay, if I ask the business owner, can you move towards this window, because it's going to look 1000 times better and just explaining that to them, I think they normally appreciate that because they want to ultimately look good and trust your expertise. Yeah, no, I totally absolutely agree. Um, So on the customer side of things, is there another customer or two that you can tell us about? I know, at least in my experience, there's a few people that I met and it's almost like the movie Step Brothers. Like, are we friends? Are we best friends here? Uh, Did you have any experiences like that where you really connected with a customer? Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of experiences like that. Probably the the highlight or like the one that that comes to mind first is... um, I think I think you guys saw these images. It was like a guy who was manufacturing knives out of his garage. How could I forget? And he was <laughs> <laughs> he, like knives and other sharp tools. Um, and he was um, carving up old skateboard decks for the handles. And he would he would like hone the blade himself in his garage and then cut out a, a handle from old skateboard decks. So like each one had its own cool paint or like wood grain from the skateboard and like that was awesome but more so like he was also a surfer he had been like a professional x games guy i think he was an announcer for the x games for like 30 years and we just like we we really hit it off we ended up like throwing axes in his backyard after the shoot (laughs) for fun it's exactly what i'm talking about (laughs) he let me ride his um he had like a like a bicycle with a lawnmower engine on it that he had like welded together and we were like (laughs) ripping around his neighborhood on this, like taking turns on this very dangerous little like motorized bike. He had sounds. I know. Do we have to make like a, one of those, like we do not endorse (laughs) getting on dangerous machinery during. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Photographers are responsible for their own safety. (laughs) Yeah. Use your own discretion. Exactly. Yeah, that's but there's that's been really like funny. there's been so many shoots where like I really vibe with the owners and we'll go back to that business. Yep. And feel like I'm friends with them now. I've chatted with a few people on our network who have kind of actually become friends with the owners or, or the customers and actually get a lot of like secondary work that has nothing to do mm-hmm. w- with GoDaddy. Because um, we do we have a lot of wedding photographers in our network, but I've, I've chatted with folks, I think it was someone in Chicago, but they were like, you know, I, I've booked like three or four weddings in the last couple months just going out and meeting your owners. And I was like, well, that's cool. So I think that's totally. that's something I never booked a wedding uh, based on our shoots, but apparently a few people I got, have. I got one. Yeah. I got a wedding. Nice. Yeah. No way. Um, I, I got a wedding. I mean, they wanted me to shoot video. Like I also do some video, so it wasn't mm-hmm. exactly one-to-one, but like I've gotten a couple like portrait sessions, like doing headshots for people. Nice. It, like it totally, I'm always telling people like, I know the whole, this is a great networking opportunity. Like that's so lame, but it, it has kind of worked like that for me. It has led to other things. Yeah. I mean, it's small business owners. They themselves have a giant network. So it's just kind of totally, you know, a big totally. spider web. Um, 
So I, I think we're going to transition now to talking a little bit about what you did uh, previously before you worked at GoDaddy. You and I think it was two filmmakers and a writer, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. You basically rode your bike from Alaska to the tip of South America. Um, that's a big trip. And I think we want to dive in and talk a little bit about that. What was kind of what was what was the goal of the trip or what was pitched to you and what did you pitch to, you know, your parents or, you know, people are like, what are you doing again? <laughs> right. Um, the idea of the trip was to do this crazy long ride and interview people along the way and kind of make a documentary film that showcases all the different people of America, you know, like. Uh, North, Central, and South America, what brings us together? What do we all, what do we have in common? Um, How are people living in, this was 2016. So, you know, like, what does it look like to live in San Francisco in 2016 versus maybe like a fishing community in Peru? Nice. Nice. No, I think that's Um, very exciting. There are some ways that they're, they're not that different. There are a lot of ways where they're, you know, obviously very different. So I was just curious, was that your idea? Who who kind of started that conversation of let's go bike for, was it two years? Yeah, it was, it was uh, 21 months. So just, just shy of two years. Um, and it was not my idea. It was very much not my idea. <laughs> um, I was on board once I heard about it, but it took the mind of uh, a friend of mine to, to come up with it. It took like a very specific... Um, he was a filmmaker who was into kind of extreme sports and cycling and all things intense. Uh, and that was kind of, I think he had done, um, a Texas 4,000. Are you guys familiar with that? No. It's a, a charity group based here in Austin that they raise money for cancer research and then ride from here to Anchorage. Nice. And they do, they like 40 or I think it's gotten bigger, but yeah, a bunch of college students every year. We'll raise a bunch of money and then ride bicycles to Alaska. So he just needed to make that more extreme. <laughs> yeah. So I think he was doing that very extreme thing. And he saw people that were doing like self-supported cycle tours. That ride, they there's a van that carries all your stuff. And so he saw these people carrying all their own stuff. You know, these like grizzled, uh, sinewy people on bicycles. And they were doing the Pan American ride that we later did. Were you a cyclist already? I mean, I owned a bicycle. Okay. But nothing like Uh, extreme. No, no. And so two of, two of us were cyclists, I think would have considered themselves cyclists. And three of us were very much not, not cyclists. Um, and we, we paid for that in the beginning. What kind of preparation did you have to do for that? Well, there's what kind of preparation should we have done? And then there's the amount of preparation we actually did. Um, I think most, I think most people, I think most people train for, for stuff like this, you know, work at sitting on a a bike seat for eight hours at a time and, you know, going a hundred miles a day. We didn't really do that. Uh, I, I like trained a little, but um, you sound like the like the lazy NBA player who like plays himself into shape throughout the course of the season. Like, no, nah, I'm just once we get to the playoffs, I'll be in shape. But until then, I'm just working on it. That's kind of, that's kind of exactly what we did. Most people start in Alaska and go to Argentina. You can do it the other way. But starting in Alaska, the very first stretch of road is called the Dalton Highway. And it's um, if you've ever seen ice road truckers, it's it's that road. 
Um, oh, I've seen it. It's 240 miles without any services or anything. Like there's no, there's not a gas station. There's not, there's nothing. And so that's, that's how you start. You're like riding on loose gravel, uh, kind of wet, mushy, loose gravel for 240 miles. And what, what were your initial thoughts during those, those first 240 miles? I was, I remember being really stoked. Oh, I mean, were we all in pain? Yes. Uh, was it kind of intense for sure, but it was, it was awesome. It was really cool. Yeah. I think I had an idea of what it looked like in my head. And then I watched the trailer, like maybe it was an older trailer and opening scene is just, I don't know if it's you or somebody else, but pedaling in basically snow and hail around like a really tight, fast turn. Like, oh yeah, this wasn't just like biking in sunny 60 degree weather. Like forget it's a, probably like a full season type of endeavor. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it was, it was all of it. Like it was, um, we had actually pretty good weather. Were you prepared for all of that? <sighs> I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, you can only be so prepared. Like you can only sort of psych yourself up so much. And then, and then, you, you know, when you're like biking in a, a monsoon, you know, you're there, you're either going to like keep going or not. Yeah. I guess I'm curious if there was anything <laughs> that you had this sort of expectation about and it was either a lot worse or a lot better than maybe you had psyched yourself up for. Yeah. So if you picture traveling for two years, it just, it sounds pretty sweet. Like it sounds like I'm going to be like on the beach. I'm going to be like, you know, drinking margaritas and hanging out. Y'all didn't do that. And there was, <laughs> there was, I mean, there was some of that, but the reality of long-term travel is much, is just so different than um, like what you see on Instagram. It is like much grittier, much, you don't see all the logistical stuff. You don't mm -hmm. see the like, in our case, every day we had to meet a stranger and persuade them to let us stay in their home or restaurant or church or fire station or whatever. And that like consumed a lot of our experience was just like trying to find a place to sleep. And that's the stuff nobody you, talks about. So that's, that's interesting. That was something that I think Joe and I talked about like previous to this is, you know, where, where did they sleep? And so finding somewhere new to sleep every night seems kind of fascinating, but do you think you got better at that? I'm assuming like the first 20 people you had to ask was probably awful, but I'm assuming maybe by the time you got to like, I don't know, Latin America, you'd kind of dialed in the the pitch of let me sleep on your floor. Right. Oh yeah. We had nailed the pitch. All of us, no matter our level of Spanish fluency could ask, can I sleep on your floor? Uh, very well. <laughs> do you still remember like, it? We could order food. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I just need a small, like solo necesito un pequeño lugar uh, in el piso. Todo bien. Like I can sleep on the floor. It's fine. Like I don't take up much room. Like, <laughs> um, and I, so to answer your question, we got better at the pitch and I think we got more comfortable asking and more comfortable, like the stakes were pretty low. Like if they said no, we would go sleep somewhere else. Or like if nobody wanted to let us sleep in the fire station, we would go be hobos at the park or something. And at a certain point it was like, all right, this will work or it won't. And whatever, right. it's fine. 
And what was like a typical week like on the road as far as living, but also shooting and making this project throughout the process? I think all of us kind of agree in hindsight that like every week, every day even, what was so crazy was that you would experience the full range of human emotion in a day. Like you would, you would, <laughs> there would be like a, you had to climb this crazy hill or the weather was bad or it was hot. There was like profound misery. And then usually like very quickly you get to the top of the hill and then you're on top of a mountain. You get to go 20 miles. Some days, some days we would have these like downhills that lasted 20 miles. That was, that was obviously like less common, but highs and lows, extreme highs and lows every day. And then, yeah, just, just every day. I think what I, what I really miss about it was that every day was its own adventure and that you would, you would try to remember what had happened the day before yesterday. And it felt like a lifetime ago because like so much had happened and every single, every single minute was something new. So I'm sure photo and video probably helped record. I mean, obviously, totally. so you're, you're having this document of it versus traveling without, you know, that in mind. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you talk that, a little bit, a bit more about that? So in my head, it's almost, I kind of forget that you were still documenting things. It seems like just riding your bike for two years is like enough, but you were actually trying to produce <laughs> a considerable amount of work. What was, what was that project, a process like? Were you every day, were you trying to shoot X amount of photos or record X amount of interviews? What, what was kind of the, the work process like? Um, we didn't have really like a strict quota or anything, but we were, you know, the goal was to, was to consistently be documenting and capturing and interviewing people. And, um, for me, like creating stills every day, um, like trying to carve out time and mental energy to, to document. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. I think, um, I mean, that's something that sets us apart from other people that have done this ride is that like, no one has really, no one has carried however much 50, 60 pounds of like professional cameras and sound equipment and, and, and documented the whole thing, like, uh, to the extent that we did. It was, it was tough. It was, it was really hard. <laughs> it's, it seems tough because it seems like at least from the photos that I've seen and, and we'll share a lot of Thomas's photos on, on a blog post and we can push all that to you and we'll, we'll show you clips of the, the trailer they've, they've put together for the documentary and we want to show you all that work so you can, you can picture it. You're not just listening to us talk about it. Um, but were there, were there equal parts kind of, because it seemed like, you know, you're obviously documenting, documenting the people of the Americas, but also it seemed like you were kind of documenting your own trip as well. So were you, were you trying to be mindful of like, hey, I really need to get everything? Or was it just like, I'm just going to shoot everything around me? Um, man, it was both. And we were like, we were in it. So you're trying to like capture and think critically about the work that you're making, but it's also your life. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, I, I had one project where I was kind of trying to document all the different weird places we would wake up, but that meant that I had to like crawl out of my sleeping bag and with my camera and try to like capture the sunrise every single morning. And usually I was like really tired and sore and didn't want to do it. So, you know, there are, there are definitely trade-offs to trying to capture your experience while you're traveling. Like I think now I'm much more inclined to just try to 
enjoy traveling and be in the moment and not worry about trying to to capture it. But I think I think this was a really good exercise in just, you know, doing the work, whether it feels fun or not. Mm -hmm. And really, like when you're shooting stuff every single day, I felt like like we all got a lot better at our crafts. Naturally, naturally. Yeah. Was there was there like an added pressure that came with the trip just because you had this, you know, idea of, okay, we're going to make stills and video, which is already, you know, a creative process. Yeah. Were you anxious about that? Like, oh, we're not getting great footage or the stills aren't coming out great or what's the, do you ever have any like maybe existential moments where you just thought what, what's the point or, you know, some type of low point like that? Totally. Yeah. I think I realized that part of the process of creating is showing it to people. For me, at least, like you make things and then you put them out into the world and people like them or don't or whatever. But there's like, that's part of the process. Like to capture it is just the first step. And so we didn't really have any sort of feedback. We were just like for two years endlessly capturing and yeah, it uh, without without any external sharing of what you're making, I I definitely had some points where I was like, what am I even doing out here? Like, like are these good? <laughs> are any of these good? Um, yeah, I think I think we all probably struggle with that to some degree. But this seems like a very exaggerated form of that. Very extreme, yeah. and that actually brought up a good point. Um, since I love logistics, always curious how things work. Had, like file upload what did you had y'all handle that um we had hard drives oh, okay we had hard drives with us um and we would mail them back to the states intermittently okay sometimes in like very dubious fashions so uh there would be points where we realized like oh we have the only copy we would duplicate we would dump the footage duplicate it on two hard drives and it would go on two separate bikes so that if one person fell into the ocean <laughs> hopefully there was a backup but at a certain point, like after a month or two, you know, we would try to mail one of those drives home and some, we had someone doing like file management and, and archiving things, mm -hmm. but there weren't just like UPS drop-offs. Uh, frequently we would be like, we'd be in the middle of the desert in Chile and we we're like, how, how do we get this drive to LA? <laughs> um, and so there were a couple times where we just met like americans that were tr that would be like passing through we we're like hey you seem really trustworthy can i give you this and when you get back to chicago will you mail this for us like we could we'll pay you um no way and we we did that like three or four times did that so it always worked out it always worked out yeah. wow that's fast fascinating so in two yeah. years nothing no footage for material was lost in transit nothing was lost in transit the only footage we ever lost was when we got robbed and that we lost the the sd cards that that we had been that were in the camera that got stolen talk about that um yeah <laughs> well kind of back to the the subject of things that you don't anticipate when traveling um we got robbed a lot uh, maybe a lot is an exaggeration but we each got robbed at least once mostly it was like people s snatching things when you're not looking that was like by and large the the majority of of theft that we experienced but 
two of our guys were were robbed, violently robbed. Ricardo got robbed by a gang of of like 13 or 14 year olds with knives in Nicaragua. Whoa. That was the first time our camera got stolen. And then Dyer got robbed at gunpoint in Peru. And they didn't make off with a camera, but they made off with with some other things. And that was like that was probably I think all of our low points was was Peru, um, Dyer getting robbed and all of us having to kind of think about the level of risk we were taking and if it was if it seemed worth it. Ultimately, we all decided that it did seem worth it, but that was definitely a, a kind of an existential moment, I think. Yeah, right. Rightfully so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. A gang of teenagers with knives sounds just terrifying to me. Yeah. So, uh, no, totally. I, I totally get that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the lowest point on the trip, if it was appropriate to ask. But I guess since we covered that, do you have a moment that was definitely the, like the, well, the highest point? Oh, you have a lower point. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's an even, there's even lower. Um, right around the time, right around the time that Dyer got robbed, um, I had some kind of stomach thing. I, I don't know if it was um, E. coli or what, but I was very sick. And um, I was sick for like a week and I was trying to ride. We were in the desert and um, I was just like, I couldn't keep anything down uh, at all. And so I'm just like trying to ride a bike and I'm just like vomiting. Uh, I've got like pretty bad diarrhea. And uh, it, it got so bad that I... I like figured out the next town had a hospital. We were trying to get to the hospital and, um, I tried to use this, this like trick that I had learned from some children in Colombia. And what they do is they live on these villages on top of mountains. And so these kids will ride their BMX bikes as fast as they can down the mountain. And then to get back up, they will pedal up to like an 18 wheeler that's climbing the mountain and just grab onto the bumper and like, let it tow them up like a like a ski like a chairlift would at a at a ski run and so i had i had been i thought that was pretty cool and i had been like practicing grabbing onto semis and like letting them pull me up hills and was having a pretty good time with it and so um i tried i was really sick i was like you know it's 80 miles to the next town with a hospital here's a nice big truck let me like, I don't want to go up this hill. I'm feeling very weak and dehydrated. So I grabbed on this truck and, um, it was the last truck I ever grabbed because it got going pretty fast and my handlebars did one of these wobbly things. And I just, just went down, went over the handlebars, just rolled for a while, scraped all the skin off like one whole side of my body. So when I finally did arrive at the hospital later, I was like, there's a lot of stuff I have to tell you. <laughs> like, uh, this may take a minute. <laughs> oh, I was man. like, this actually isn't the worst of it. Like, there's other stuff. Okay, wait, do you grab onto the truck while it's moving or do you ask the truck driver, can I? No, okay. <laughs> there's no. Joe, you're such a polite mm-hmm. person, like, in your heart. <laughs> well, I, I my head of imagining that it's going pretty fast i guess you bike up to it and then just latch on i think uh the ideal truck to hold on to is one that looks like it's not going to go very fast okay. like if you find a truck that's loaded down with cement or something you know uh, lower risk profile than a like a fast moving semi was any of this documented this 
arc in the story? Um, we have footage of, of after I crashed. Like, what's funny is Dyer got robbed the next day. Like, I I checked myself into a, a Peruvian pay-by-the-hour. I think it was, like, a, kind of like a sex motel. A lot of There was a lot that of coming and hospital? going. It seemed to be... <laughs> No, no, no. That was, I went to the hospital and then they gave me some ointment and some antibiotics and I checked, checked myself in next door at this like pay by the hour motel. It's tough. Um, It's a tough spot. And then the guys kept going and the next day was the day that Dyer got robbed. So we got, we all kind of hit our low around the same time. This sounds brutal. I don't know if I could have kept going. Yeah, I'm going to tell you um, right now. I couldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's no like I don't know about it. I want to speculate that I have me. that I have it in me. <laughs> but the the high points of the trip, which there were there were a lot. I think I think Patagonia was maybe my high point. Why? If you guys have not been, you should go. It's amazing. It feels like another planet. It feels there was a point I remember like I'm riding and these um all the uh, gauchos, they like, first of all, they look awesome. Second of all, they'll, they'll like kind of herd cattle down the road with their, it's always like a dude on a horse with two dogs. And so I like these gauchos, I like pulled over to let these gauchos pass. And I just stopped and I, I like looked around and realized that I could see, I think it was like 28 waterfalls in a 360 view. I, there were, there were 28 waterfalls all like flowing off glaciers in this super lush, like the greenest green you've ever seen kind of valley. And that's, that's just like, that was Patagonia. A lot of Patagonia was like that. It's just like beautiful beyond words. I just did a quick Google image search, uh, story checks out. It, uh, looks, <laughs> looks real nice. The first it's one really I just nice. typed in Patagonia and it just brought up sweaters. So I had to be a right. little more specific with my search. Right. Uh, yeah. It looks like there's a lot of, looks like there's a lot of ice caps there as well, which I imagine makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense for the waterfalls in the warmer season. A lot of glaciers. Yeah. Uh, a lot of snowy ice capped mountains. Chile itself, like more broadly is pretty cool. Cause it, I, I forget exactly the figure, but there's 30 some odd different types of climates that exist on earth. And I think Chile has like, if there's 35 on earth, Chile has like 33 of them. There's like very few climates, uh, eco regions that do not exist in Chile. That's incredible. Super cool. Did you guys, I just thought of another question. Did you guys ever turn the camera on yourselves like i know you were interviewing and photographing other people but was it ever kind of like um what's that discovery channel show where the guy is like surviving in the woods and has the camera on himself he's like day naked seven. and afraid yeah <laughs> no i'm thinking of bear, bear was yeah. bear girls <laughs> bear girls i always forget is bear girls survivor man or is <sighs> it's the only name that comes to mind but i'm thinking of like hard, hard to say or that like There's office of episode where michael scott is like in the woods with the camera and he's like day or hour 12 no food or <laughs> i think bear grills was the one who kept he kept getting caught staying in hotels like they would <laughs> someone would go to the place where he had filmed this like dramatic thing and then just turn the camera to one side and there was like a hotel right there yeah like he was actually just that, next that to the highway be me on an extreme travel yeah yeah so i guess i'm just curious if you were ever like live blogging your emotions <laughs> throughout the two years no no, and I'm grateful that we didn't because I think it would have been like pretty hard to watch in, in hindsight. But uh, 
we did do, I mean, we filmed ourselves. We did confessionals, kind of like, you know, the reality TV style, just thinking out loud to the camera. So that'll be part of the the docuseries when it comes out. It's going to have a lot of that stuff of kind of us, us out there thinking about it. That's awesome. So you said, you said docuseries that looking more like it's going to be put out in like a, in an episodic form. Yeah. Yeah. So we're working on the pilot right now. We're thinking probably around six, maybe more episodes, probably 30 to 40 minutes. And, um, yeah, man, that's, yeah, that's, that's really, I thought I had more to say, but I don't <laughs> No, I mean, I'm, I've seen the trailer and I've seen your photos and I'm like, could not be more thrilled to watch it. Um, that and I work with you on a daily basis. So I feel eerily close to the trip for no, no real reason, but, uh, cool. it, it feels real to me. Um, cool. Yeah. The pilots, uh, the pilots coming along. Hopefully we're hoping that that we'll have something for people to watch here pretty soon. How did you guys get back to the States? Did you fly back or did you bike back? <laughs> we did not. We did not bike back. I just, we came home in an airplane. I just pictured that moment in Forrest Gump when he stops running, just like, I guess I'll go home now. Just turn right around, ride your bike back. What? Yeah, what was this it? Is a, oh. I was going to, I was going to steal your question, Joe. I think we were on the same page. Go yeah, for go for it. Uh, I was just going to say, what was, what was the moment like whenever you finished or was there like, was there an actual point in time where it's like, we crossed the finish line, we are done right, right this second. And what was that like? Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there's a a destination, like we were always trying to get to uh, this port city called Ushuaia, which is the, it's not the southernmost tip of Argentina, but it is the southernmost city. Um, I think it's pretty sure it's the southernmost city on earth. And, um, it's a very strange and interesting place. So that was, that was the destination. And so in the days leading up to it, it started to get very strange that we might actually someday arrive at this place. And then, and then the last day, some of the footage in the the trailer that you were talking about, Joe is from the last day. It's, it snowed on us. It was like kind of snowing and hailing, which seemed like as good a sign as any that we should probably stop doing this. And, um, Riley, one of our, one of our guys got a flat, his bike was like making this crazy sound. And I was like, dude, I don't know about your tire, man. He's like, no, 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 it's good. It's, it's fine. And then the, the sidewall of his rim splintered, which I had never seen before. And, um, these, all these shards of metal came out and like popped his tire, but we were, we were so close. We were like, 20 30 miles out and so and we didn't have any extra tubes i think or something like his tire was just totally done and um so he just duct taped it he just duct taped it back together we like pumped it up and we like bombed into ushuaia it was like the most archetypal our style thing where we like we showed up like as the sun was going down just like exhausted and like just disgusting and Riley's tire is like exploding and falling apart. And I was like, yeah, that, that feels like how this trip would end. That, that, that feels very much on brand for us. So did you guys hang out there for a couple days or like, what was the, what was the wrap up of the trip? Like, yeah, it was, you know, as you imagine, probably the anti-climax, like you realize you get to the end and you realize like the end is not the point. Like the point was, was, was the journey. But yeah, we hung out for a couple days. We did the, there's this tradition where to ride the Pan American, you, when you start, you dip your back tire in the Arctic 
in some water. And then when you get to the finish line, you dunk your front tire in the Antarctic. So we did that. We, I think a couple of us just threw our whole bikes in. Um, <laughs> Out of exasperation or just for extra? <laughs> sheer uh, exhilaration. Ah. You know, out of excitement. I love that. Yeah, that's funny. I have a, a cork around here somewhere from the the champ the like cheap gas station champagne that we like popped and you know sprayed all over each other. What a treat, <laughs> Joe! Do you got anything else? Yeah what What's the first thing you did when you got back? Did you fly back to Texas? I flew back to Texas. The very first thing that I did is I went to the Waffle House. <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah, an no excellent further, choice. I went, no further questions. <laughs> I went to the Waffle House and I ate an obscene quantity of of diner breakfast food. There, like the table wasn't large enough. There was like things were being stacked on top of other things. Oh, it was man. amazing. It was so good. Could you see like a visible difference in your face? Like, did you do any before after type portraits or something like that? We all, yeah, we all looked pretty rough by the end. I think, I think what I've realized in hindsight is that, um, if you, well, obviously if you're like exercising nonstop, you get kind of gaunt, but, uh, also I I don't think we were eating very well. Like, I don't think I'm sure we were lacking some, uh, vitamins and minerals. And so I think that like does weird things to your skin. Like all of us by the end looked a lot older, uh, than we look now, like even a couple years off the road, like all of us now look much younger than we did then. That's wild. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there is there anything else before we before we wrap here? I know you could probably talk about this for as yeah, long as, as you can as, tell. As long I've as got we a lot wanted of to go. I know. Um, I, right. I clearly have like a lot of hyper specific questions. The first thing you ate as soon as you got off the plane. <laughs> right. Um, no. Yeah. I would just uh, if anybody's interested, they can look us up. We're called Pedal South. PedalSouth.org is our website, and we're on Instagram at PedalSouth. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out for for the series coming out soon. That's awesome. Whenever the series does come out, we'll definitely plug that in our stories and and, and send you guys an email because that's something that um, we're excited about and we're 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 proud to have Thomas on the team. So obviously, any any of his past accomplishments are very exciting. And like I said, they feel like weirdly close. Like I know I had nothing to do with it, but I'm like excited. You know, uh, really, really no, they, excited about they it. Belong, they belong to all of us now. They belong to the team. We were basically there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Well, uh, great chatting with you. Um, you know, if anyone's interested in, in getting to be a part of the network, Thomas will be the guy that you have to talk to. So uh, hopefully this this interview will give you a little bit, a little bit of a leg up. Um, if nothing else, I think it's uh, probably pretty entertaining. Um, I hope so. But... Yeah, uh, we'll catch you guys on the other side.